Hey everyone, welcome to the I Made A Thing podcast. Just want to give you a heads up that Rachel and I do get a little bit excited sometimes, so there might be some naughty words in this episode. So if you've got little ones in the car or, I don't know, maybe your ears have this weird tendency of like bleeding when swear words come out, maybe turn it down. Oh, totally. Actually, a thought just came to mind then when you were talking about that is, um, obviously not wasn't active listening, but... Uh... <laughs> God, Sophia. <laughs> When I say power, their face kind of drops and they go, oh, no, 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 like, I, I don't want to be seen like that. I don't want to do that. Hey, welcome to the I Made A Thing podcast with Rachel and Sophia. Our podcast is for business owners who don't believe in cheat sheets. Today we're going to be talking about do you have to be popular to be successful in business and the interaction of popularity and power. Rach, do you want to start us off with maybe a bit of a tale from your time in business and how this has played out for you? Sure. Well, I don't have one. <laughs> <laughs> I don't actually have a, I don't know, what, what kind of anecdote do you want though? Well, look, maybe I can kick us off then because that really just dumps you in that. Yeah. So <laughs> we do actually give this some thought, guys, before we start, I promise. But, uh, yeah, so for me, uh, I struggled a bit when I first came into business. I'm obviously newer to having a, a, bit, a business that's service-based like this. And for me, I was looking and comparing myself to others. We have another podcast dedicated to that. But that was a lot to do with, uh, I felt that I hadn't been that popular at school. And so there was a lot of self-doubt for me coming into business and thinking, well, hey, if I've never been popular, how the heck am I going to be successful in business if I'm not one of the popular kids in school? Yeah, it's really interesting. I kind of wasn't one of the popular kids in school either, but I did, you know, run with the cool kids and then I hung out with the supposed losers if we're going to do like mean girls analogies here so yeah it's i think it's really interesting you say that because that to be honest never even crossed my mind maybe it should have now i'm like oh maybe i should have been concerned about that so why did you think schoolyard popularity was going to transition to business why did you make that connection i don't think it was I'm not proud of that. Like, I don't think I didn't sit down and write that and say, oh, well, like did the equation. Okay. You're only like at four popularity points. So therefore you're only going to be at four in business. You know, it was an unconscious thing in, for, mo- for the most part, but it snuck in to my conscious thought and uh, yeah, kind of scared. Like when you're having those dark moments and it crosses your mind, maybe not, yeah, not in a very crystal clear way, but it's, it's a nagging thought that sits there in your mind. Uh, and I think that self-doubt stuff I think you've summarized it really well because we do have a lot of like lingering issues with high school like I got bullied a lot I still remember on the first day of high school sitting on the bus and um, some popular girls thought I was pretty dorky and I was wearing my hair out didn't know about hair oil and blow drying at that stage so my hair was probably, in hindsight, maybe a bit boofy and they were teasing me about it and then put bus tickets in my hair. So that was my first trip home from the bus. But I think instead of perhaps um, taking that on board like you have, you know, in translating to business, I might have gone the other way where anything that I see is popular or that everyone's doing it, even if 
it's the right thing to do, my immediate reaction is fuck that. Mm. That I want to go the complete opposite uh, to whatever is popular at the time. Um, the same as when I was growing up with clothes, all the you know young girls had really cool clothes and I couldn't afford it. So I just made up my own stuff. I was like, well, I'm just going to put actually cut holes in my jeans and just have ripped jeans then. So that's what I would do. So I think maybe I'm the flip side that every time I see something really popular, even if I should be copying it or, you know, incorporating it in my business, maybe I go the opposite. I'm just like, nah, still don't want to do it. Mm, that's really interesting. I didn't know that about you actually. Really? I'm no. like anti everything. Oh, but I mean, just like that antidote, that not antidote, that anecdote. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, cool. Okay. So, yeah. That's probably a pretty nice segue actually into how we personally define powerful and popular then and how we see that in business. Do you want to kick us off with that one? Yeah, well, I think for me, when I think popular, I literally picture Mean Girls, which is like incredible. And I think most of our listeners can picture that. So go with me here. So I see popular as having the latest stuff being on trend I think is what I'm trying to say you know looking the part for whatever we think it should be so perhaps in business um, you know wearing high heels going to the great parties being the in crowd you know really well connected with a particular type of people I see it um, in that respect I guess to be honest in a negative light I see it as Mm. exclusive um, and not accessible and I associate it with a place of people trying to, I suppose, rub everybody else's nose in not having the thing, which again, if you think back to my sad, sad bus story, that <laughs> um, perhaps that's you know what I see it as. When I do also think popularity can mean popular, uh, sorry, like positive things, but when I think of it, I think of that. And then again, with power, I seem to go from mean girls to like, politicians and dudes in suits so again if i'm being a visual kind of representation i see people um you know going around again to business meetings and being quite aggressive and quite masculine so yeah from this masculine to like bitchiness which i know is not the case i mean i teach uh my media students all about power and influence but i think for listeners it's important to kind of get some of the visual ideas happening so that's how i define it initially yeah i think it's great to voice some of these weird connotations and beliefs that we have with stuff in business particularly for small business owners solo business owners we are one with our business we are intrinsically linked to that so our weird beliefs that are going on negative and positive are going to be you know they're going to be up there right in the center of our thoughts when we're making decisions in our business so i think yeah it's a perfect place to start I might take us down the path of maybe what's more useful for us in business now with those definitions and what we've been talking about off air around uh, saying, okay, well, popularity can be really valuable in our business and should actually definitely be something that we're pursuing. Um, In a strategic sense, we want to be, you know, likable and we'll talk a bit more about that later, what that actually looks like from a practical sense and how to get there. And then having that, that power piece, being able to make impact, being able to influence people, being able to be in front of them, be visible with that popularity again and combining that with our, with our power and popularity piece and how those work together. So that takes us to, do you think you have to be popular to be successful in business? Uh, I'm going to go with yes, based on pretty much what we've just discussed and some of the things we're going to go into with those definitions. 
Is it always essential, Rach? Thoughts? Yes. Yeah. So if I move away from uh, Mean Girls and Dudes in Suits and actually really do unpick the concepts, then I think you do need to be popular. So we'll put some links in the show notes, but popularity isn't necessarily being in the click, having the cool things, um, you know, being down with all the cool stuff. To be honest, it's actually more about your ability to interact with your community, to be empathetic, to be able to listen to them, to allow others to share their voice, be seen and heard. And it's actually about community, about creating a space where people feel, can feel comfortable to do, to do that and encouraging others to do that. So I think when we start looking at popularity in the academic and the literal definition, not our high school, you know, American movie definition, we start to see that popularity is really important because we don't, as business owners, we want people to respect us. They don't have to love us and agree with us, but they need to respect us. And I definitely, I don't know about you, Sophia, but I really don't want people to work with me out of fear of, fear of failure, fear of not being in the in crowd, fear of anything else. I want them to come to me because they see it as a safe space to grow and be heard. And that is popularity to me. Mm. Yeah. And really getting into our practical tips now around that, you know, you need to start with that, figuring out what that purposeful work is for you and doing that goal setting work. Um, you know, you have to start there to have the context, to have the structure around which you're working and how popularity and power is, is going to play out for you and your business and, and the journey that you want to take. You've got to start there. You've got to do that work. Um, and we very much are approaching this from the perspective of delivering that long-term value for your clients. This is not about being an overnight success and being, as we say, in the in crowd. This is about making an impact in the world, whatever that world looks like for you and um, whatever that journey looks like for you. But if if you're about overnight success, if you're about making that quick dollar, cool, go for it. But uh, that's not going to fit with our definition of popularity and power in, in today's podcast. We've touched on developing empathy. From a practical sense, you know, what are your tips in terms of developing that skill? I think... For some of us, it comes naturally. For me, um, you know, I've done a lot of work around my values and empathy is right up there. So my top four values are self-awareness, honesty, authenticity, and empathy. And if you know uh, me as a person, you'd probably agree that, that that makes sense, that resonates. So empathy for me is the ability to see things from other people's perspectives, to be curious, to want to have an insight into how they think, feel, behave. Um, it's not necessarily sympathy, like you don't have to take on board other people's feelings and emotions. You don't have to you know, cry there with them, but you have to be able to see, hang on, I can see how my approach to business might not work for this person. Or I can see how me commenting on someone's looks or you know, how they showed up today might be confronting and not the best approach. I think if we picture empathy probably to do with our friends and family, you know, sometimes you're a little bit tired or something's going down and you, you mean what you say, but you say it in the wrong way and someone can take it out of context. And, you know, you can look from their point of view and say, well, actually, I was pretty blunt. I do want to reframe how I say that, but where I'm coming from and why I want to say those things are the same. So as a writer, copywriter, journal, and as a business owner, you know, definitely if you're providing services, I think we have to be 
highly attuned to how we think, feel and behave, but also how others might be able to sort of flip backwards and forwards. So to me, that's empathy and it's a skill that can be learned. But most of us, to be honest, need to work on our active listening. So that means not jumping on board and inserting ourselves in the story. It's actually listening to a person, allowing them to speak freely and share their thoughts and feelings. And we often jump in because we want the person to know we get where they're coming from. But in by doing that, we can actually shut them off and shut them down. And that's something I've been working on a lot more recently. I mean, I'm great as a journal, but sometimes with friends, I'm like, oh my God, yeah, I do that thing too. And I'm trying to be uh, a little bit more respectful of giving people some airtime or coming in with those types of comments afterwards, after they've had their say. So that would be my tips and mm. thoughts around how to start establishing empathy. Yeah. I think you've nailed it, Rachel. I just want to uh, expand a bit on that listening side of things because, you know, for me, that's a massive focus in my business. You know, I have to learn very quickly quite complex information about businesses. A lot of the time it's really not about my ideas. It's about what they're already doing and how we can refine and take that to the next level because in my experience, most of my business owners that I work with are really smart, savvy people often they have the answers but they're looking to have guidance around how to actually make that happen so it's not about me having all the ideas and being brilliant talking the whole session it's pretty much the exact opposite actually Uh, and obviously giving them the confidence to to take actions but um yeah I would say you need to you need to actually do some research around what empathy means to you is is a great place to start from what Rachel was saying and you need to practice it it's hard at first sometimes and like sometimes I'm highly empathetic and it can actually be detrimental to me in my business I can start to lose myself and be like oh actually maybe they are right maybe I should consider that and I have to bring myself um, back to that so there is like a very fine line with a lot of things that yeah making sure not taking on board everyone's thoughts and feelings Mm. and a good thing again a bit of a journal tip is that if you're practicing your active listening and empathy it's to repeat back what someone said to the exact words and even check in with them and say did I understand you correctly when you said this did you actually mean that word this feeling etc and people sometimes like oh no I didn't mean that or yes I did and again that is what a good leader does that's what sort of I suppose we're thinking about likability that you need to do which is you know if we're going to focus a little bit more on power for a second is the complete opposite of a lot of traditional masculine power dynamics where a lot of leaders and people in business I'm sure you might have had um, some business coaches that are like this I know I've heard some stories from my clients where instead of doing what we're doing and what we try and do in our business they've done the opposite so they come in really quite aggressive they say all the things a person needs to do don't listen to them they give them a whole bunch of materials and say yeah that's it you do that thing now this is what I've said and this is what I've directed you to do and a lot of people um, particularly I think our clients and listeners it just doesn't resonate anymore and in fact they're in my opinion abusing their power abusing their status, their visibility. And I think 
again, we can start to see power as a bad thing in that context, but mm. it doesn't have to be. What do you think? Oh, totally. Actually, a thought just came to mind then when you were talking about that is um, obviously not wasn't active listening, but uh... <laughs> God, Sophia. <laughs> Uh, was that when someone's delivering that style of advice, which, yeah, is one way to do it that we clearly both don't agree with, uh, really to me that's not delivering value to the client because they could go and buy that advice or that template advice online. So if, if you're in, particularly if you're in the consulting service-based industry and you're just regurgitating stuff from a piece of paper or even your mind out to the client without actively listening to them and learning about them, what value are they really get getting, you know, from one client to the next? It's, it's not unique. It's not adjusted for their circumstances. It's probably unethical on several fronts. Uh, particularly if you're in a regulated industry, it might be illegal. Yeah. So you really want to watch yourself on, on going out with that. So if you, you can look at empathy actually in developing this skill set as a competitive advantage to delivering more value than your competitors uh, to your clients. So I absolutely, totally agree with that. Beyond clients, I think we would say too that you really need to practice building uh, and developing your empathy and building genuine connection with uh, your peers and competitors Rach, what's been your experience with working with competitors in this space around this empathy, likability piece? I've, well, actually, I'll share a story, and this has happened to me quite a few times, and this is the way that I've handled it. Not saying you have to handle it like this, but I, I try, when you hear the story, I, you know, I went and lost my shit and got mad, but then I try to come back from a place of uh, empathy. So I was testing something out on Twitter. This is a couple of years ago, and you've probably seen it on Insta too, where when someone follows you, you can have like an automatic message, yeah. And it was the in thing, and this is years ago when I was um, doing more digital marketing. I wanted to test it out, so I decided to do it my account. Um, a woman responded to this message. She said, "Like, hey, I'm Rachel. Thanks for the follow. Like, I'm you know doing this thing. I'd love to connect." She literally no shit sent me I don't know it's like it's on Twitter so like this longest message it's like you know two email lengths about how disgusting I was how dumb this was why would I do this stupid thing etc etc really really ripped into me um and I was like absolutely blown away and in a sense she was a you know competitor slash peer she was doing something similar to me we had a similar amount of you know followers um same kind of industry and I just sat there and, you know, went white, sweated a bit. And I was so shocked and hurt. And then I just got furious, um, walked around the block a few times, came back. And then I was like, clearly this woman has had a really shit day. Mm. I'm going to go back with something. I know some people might leave it or might write back like, you know, bitch or something like that. Um, totally understandable. But I decided to write back and say like, hey, like, thanks for your message you know, I don't like these things either, but just like you, I'm testing them out. And I prefer to test them out on my own, um, you know, account before my clients and did all this thing. She wrote back again, like the most, like the biggest apology I've ever seen in my entire life and actually said that she'd had a really bad day, that she'd felt really negative, you know, a bit of um, comparative like we've talked about and said that I triggered her and she'd lost her shit and taken out of me which is absolutely disgusting and not called for but I turned that around and Mm. she ended up being um one of my best advocates 
from then. And at first I was like, yeah, she's just doing because she feels like shit and, you know, rightly so. But end up being one of the, like, the greatest people. And I've had that happen. I've had people, you know, say bad feedback, trolls, people accuse me of stealing their copy, all of this kind of stuff, which we do in business. And each time I've come out of place um, from, you know, from empathy, trying to see from their point of view, um, you know, also thinking about their own sort of status and power and influence and how I could use my position, you know, to try and change the, the way that we speak to each other and support each other. So, yeah, I think oh, these things happen all the time and I think it's best to do yeah. place empathy. Yeah. And I think too, you know, it's very fashionable at the moment to say, you know, build each other up and we'll all do better. But the research supports that. Yeah, definitely. So there's no point trying to drag your competitors through the mud. It's not doing you any favours. In fact, we know that it actually, you know, negatively impacts you more than what you think positively it will be impacting you. So, yeah, that's probably the the final thought on, on that one. So I guess I want to focus a little bit for a second on this idea of like what is power then because some of the situations like I said you know my previous kind of example people have status they have visibility and that is in a sense power like I could have got onto Twitter and shamed that woman and we see this happening all all the time right and like you said it doesn't actually help us although we might want to so for me, I want to dive a bit more into idea of power and how we can you know, use power for good, but also power in our business. So when I define power, I see it as status, visibility, leadership, etc. And like I said, you can be the Trumps of the world or you can be the Beyonce's of the world. How do you think that we should be defining and using power because it's often like I said mm. a really masculine yeah negative yeah look that's a tough one I think we're still as women in business or as more feminine people in business still figuring that out and it's going to take time and it's going to be different for everyone so I'm probably sitting on the fence a little bit with this but I think it's in a way it's about saying okay well, what is right for me in my business how do I want to be seen and heard um little plug for Rachel no. <laughs> yep that's my tagline everyone that's my tagline <laughs> but yeah it is about that um I think about and we're going to talk more about this in a separate podcast on professionalism but when you feel powerful in business for me I'm able to be calm I'm able to make reasoned decisions Emotions may be part of that consideration, but they're not like my driving force. I'm not letting my emotions run away with me, so to speak, or overtaking my rational brain as much. They still influence me. They're still there. Uh, Having the confidence to follow my gut, if actually that's what I need to do. I feel supported. So I've got that network there. So it's not actually all just about me. Definitely. I'm drawing on not just my own ideas, but the ideas of those around me. So, for example, you take a traditional leader with a team, uh, you know, a really great leader will actually, you know, they might not have any good ideas, but they're able to bring the ideas of others to the forefront. So I guess from a practical applied sense, that's how I see power for me in business. I don't have a great dictionary definition for you, but that's how it springs to mind for me. They're the images that I get for me as a woman in business. I think it's great because, I mean, a large part of my job is helping people become visible 
seen and heard, getting attention. And for me, a large part of what I do really does sit in this power popularity space, particularly power. And when I talk to a lot of um, women, which is why I love your answer, and I say that to them, they do think about the Trumps and the men in suits, which is why I keep using that that visual image. Because when I actually say, well, no, you've created this amazing thing. People will want to hear about it, see it, share it, do it. You actually need to have status. You need to be visible. Mm. You need to get attention on that. And all of that equals power. But when I say power, their face kind of drops and they go, oh, no, 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 no. Like, I, I don't want to be seen like that. I don't want to do that. That's really scary. Mm. What about if you reshape it with the word respect? Do they respond better then? Like, do you want to be respected in business rather than powerful in business? I have used that word a few times. And I think for my more, uh, to be honest, corporate women have had a more traditional you know high creative um space like communications director etc do respond better to the word respect Mm. but my creative business owners who've come through a creative outlet actually like the word visibility so sometimes you hear me refer to myself as a visibility coach because again if i say pr media they automatically get scared and again see that as quite like an aggressive way to be seen and heard so i think Language, if it's something that's triggering, you know, you and obviously triggers a big word, but you know, if it kind of makes you feel icky, like I've talked on a few other podcasts when I talk about, um, you know, my perf, I say get really like, ugh, grossed out. <laughs> but if it's something that's doing to you, think back to the definitions, you know, of power and what it actually means, and you start to realize it is a good thing. And when you have power and popularity that ties into your purpose, you can achieve so much shit. Like mm. you can get so much done and be just incredible. It's when I think you don't want to approach it or one of those falls down or one of those is done in a negative way. Then you can actually be, from a marketing business perspective, really quite detrimental. And I've seen that happen too. Mm. So which one do we think then comes first in terms of popularity or power? Or is it at the same time? I actually think popularity a little bit the Mm. likability piece because you can be really well known and well liked and respected you know in your team or um in the you know your small business community and from that if people like you they're more likely to listen to you they're more likely to follow you more likely to engage with you and then from there i think you can really start to build your visibility attention on products your status and when I'm talking about things status I'm not talking about likes or YouTube views I'm talking about your status within the community how you compare to other people you know a whole bunch of stuff so not just how many likes and stuff you have because again that can just be fake popularity metrics like in the high school yeah yeah I mean, I slightly disagree in terms of saying, well, okay, if you don't have any power though, do you have anything to actually within yourself internally build your likability? So that would be an extreme example though. So we're talking, say, someone who perhaps uh, is lacking any confidence to put themselves out there and be visible in the first place. They don't, they're completely powerless, for example. Mm-hmm. So that would be an extreme example. But I think in general, yeah, I would agree with you. Uh, and potentially if you can, if they come hand in hand and you're working on both, then obviously 
it's going to be way more impactful. Both are going to grow far faster, I would have thought, than if you're just focusing on one or the other. True. Although, I don't know if I completely agree with that because even if you don't have confidence, you can still be likable to a degree Mm. within a small network because a lot of my clients are in that situation where they lack confidence and clarity and we help to build that up and they're still likable like the clients Mm. they do have but would they even put themselves out there is what i'm getting at oh i think you can be an asshole and not put yourself out there yeah (laughs) yeah so like if you're asshole we don't want to hear from you but no i don't i don't personally agree with that i think you can be um you know like you said you can have a really small community not be very confident and we've seen that and like you know youtubers mm. and bloggers and stuff you know a little bit of like training wheels a bit shaky and we actually love that because we see ah, lackability yeah. as a real person real struggles you know honesty those kind of things we actually do see is that especially if they're like i'm just starting out i don't know what i'm doing i'm not sure help me out etc yeah. that again in my opinion is starting to tie into to the practical aspects of likability. Yeah, love that. Okay, so this is this is an interesting one actually. <laughs> and we talked a bit about this off air. But uh do you find you only want to work with someone who is well known? And we got here, you know, that example of the large fo- following on Instagram. No. I prefer to work with someone who, again, schoolgirl Rachel, that isn't seen as popular or cool because... Oh, is this Rebel Rachel? Yeah, this is Rebel Rachel coming out because I'm not popular or cool (laughs) either. Such a dork. So, no, that for me, if someone is... But I'm saying that in a a fake sense. If they're doing like Mean Girls, Regina George-style popularity, looking really trendy, and then next month they've got something else trendy that's happening, whether it's looks, you know, services, et cetera, that is such a turnoff for me. And I'd rather, for lack of a better term, if we're going to move your analogies, like a B-grade actor, a B-grade service provider who hasn't latched onto that but still doing incredible work because I personally have found that they are way more focused on helping their clients and building those relationships and less about building up their personal profile because that can be the struggle for my um, my clients. How much do you focus on building your profile and becoming really well-known and you end up just being a bit of a celeb versus mm. like a service provider, etc. So it's, a, it's an alarm bell basically for you that you feel like they're not going to deliver the value. Yeah, whether that's true or not, that's how I um, feel. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I'm cautious to agree with you on that in some ways because I think, well, Rebel Rachel's just Rebel Rachel's extreme, you know. Yeah, I, I hate I, am. I hate that extreme stuff. But I think it's really good to have an open conversation about this because we're making decisions about this so quickly. Oh hell yeah! And it's really important to reflect on this because these decisions, whether we like it or not, are going to have financial impact for our business. Whether we like it or not, if we're not making them sweet dollar bills, we might be in trouble and we're clearly losing money on it as well. So, yeah, I don't 
don't know. Like, I think I would be more interested in getting to know the value that they're going to deliver for me and my business and doing that research. I certainly would be very cautious about just working with someone because they're in my face and they're on my feed and they seem like they're doing all the things and they've got lots of followers. But I am going to be influenced by that. And we've all said, and I think most of us agree, that it does build credibility if someone has a decent following, if they've put in the work and put up posts. But I am going to go through and look at the content of those posts, for example. I'm going to go through and look at their website. I'm not just going to look at their social media. I'm going to look at their communication skills and their video, depending on you know how I want to work with them. Yeah, that's, a, that's, a, that's an interesting one. Because I... Obviously, you know, I talk about creating visibility and I have okay visibility and, you know, been published in newspapers and publications, etc. So I think to then sell that service, I need to, to have that. But do I need to be the biggest journal, the biggest writer? And that is often a selling point. It ends up being, in my opinion, not about the person's and their value and how they make others feel, etc. If we're going to go back to our... Um, you know our definition in this pod of likability and more about them as you know just having done all this stuff so you know I'm looking at doing a writing master class and a lot of the ones that you've come up on google it's just you know like bob who's got 20 books and done all this thing that's the selling point I'm like well what am I actually going to get in the master class so I'd rather go like I said to a different writer who's still amazing but maybe hasn't been doing it quite at that level who's no longer in my mind a celebrity Mm. who's actually still creating books still trying new things and wants to talk to me about the services so the same as you but that's kind of my um, rationale and I hope that people do the same with me you know like look through all of my stuff like you said talk to me etc and decide if they want to work with the person who supposedly has it all made or the person like me who's still in the trenches Mm. uh, doing that for me that's what I kind of find yeah. more attractive. Oh, totally. I mean, we are planning to do actually a podcast on finding the right experts and that sort of stuff. So we will dig deeper into that for you guys with some practical tips about how to find the right person to work with uh, and when to part with your hard-earned cash. But uh, just quickly to expand on that, uh, something that pops to mind is the uh, the idea about, you know, you can be really, really good at something, but it doesn't mean that you're very good at teaching it. So, exactly. you know, you could be the best tennis player in the world, but it doesn't mean you're going to make the best coach. And in actuality, when you look at a lot of people that are, you know, if we look at sports, are really good coaches. Yeah, look, they're probably pretty good, but they may not have been the best. So, yeah, just be aware of that, I guess. Yeah, maybe that's why I think of it too, because of teaching background as well. Yeah. yeah, that's a really, really good point. And so I guess, you know, to start wrapping up, how how like how do you sort of build power in your business and popularity like where are you focusing your time how are you personally doing it before we end with some overall kind of tips yeah i mean i'm i'm big on emotional intelligence i do a lot of learning and training in that soft skill piece um i've already mentioned that i'm really big on developing listening skill set you know books like uh how to influence and influence people have been very impactful for me personally in recent times and that similar sort of content, uh, that self-development you know, genre, I guess you could say, I really like. And I... She's obsessed. <laughs> just saying. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just want to be really good at that piece because at the end of the day, I'm working with other human beings in a very human, raw space. Business is 
freaking scary and hard. And so I really want to be able to be there for people, show up and deliver the best value I can. So for me, that's where power and likability come into it. But I guess more on the power side of things, for me, education in my actual you know industry is really important. So, you know, I am a chartered accountant, keeping up my skills in those different areas, uh, qualifications in project management, what's the latest in digital automation space, blah, blah, blah. All of that stuff's really important for me. Um, it's not something I'm just going to let go and just focus on, you know, one side of that piece. But then also uh, building connections with people that are important in our industry and our space who are popular. You know, I want to I be around those thought leaders. I want to surround myself with the best people and, and uh, push myself in that space. Yeah, I think that's really important to want to be with other like-minded people who also challenge you as well. And that's what a good leader who both practices both popularity, likability elements and power should do. They don't have to take on board everything you say and you don't have to take on board everything they say, but you have to sort of know when to listen, when to do the work yourself and not just, I suppose, be like a people pleaser or to not have any boundaries because I feel like a few of us fall into that trap sometimes. Definitely not you Sophia but some of my clients will fall into that and so they might see likability and power as like more of those kind of dynamics where Mm. they'll swing either way which I think is important they don't do that yeah and that's probably our well that is our last kind of main practical tip for developing your likability and power is creating those boundaries uh and look thank you that's very kind of you to say that I'm great at that but um I'm not sure that's always true particularly if I'm not feeling confident or I feel a bit threatened or I think someone's better than me in terms of that client to provide a relationship um I might roll over you know I might give a cheaper price than I was going to originally or I might give them more flexible payment terms than I probably should or I might work with someone who isn't my ideal client so you know, that's just one example in the sales process, but boundaries can be all through your business and your processes. So for you, Rachel, what has been, I mean, if you want to, sorry, if you want to give us your parting advice on, you know, setting those boundaries, because actually I think you've taught me quite a lot in that space in our time working together. Thanks. Yeah, I'm not calling the boundary cream for nothing. (laughs) 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 Oh, I guess the reason why I like, I do, you know, decide to bring that up is because, if I think, you know, to your answers and to follow on a little bit to what you're saying with how I build power and, you know, likability, for me, this idea of, uh, you know, awareness, visibility, status, if I'm going to be a good leader, like I said, I don't need someone to like me, I need someone to respect me. And I hope through setting things like boundaries, like you said, you know, I'm pricing, sales, how I show up, what I will do, what I won't do, who I work with, is actually setting a good example for my clients who are struggling with these elements I feel like I would do them a disservice if I was a bit wishy-washy if I wasn't sure within myself if I made compromises all the time um you know to try and please other people etc in the hope that they would then like me because I think that's why a lot of women do these things and a lot of my clients come to me like I said and are really afraid of this power play because I want people to like them but we know through studies and we'll link to some um you know research in the show notes that people who are powerful and likable actually do better because they do have boundaries they do have systems in place and do better off when you have those 
So I think setting a boundary, again, when we keep saying it, it comes back to your sort of purpose, your goals, etc. But I think for me, I do a lot of it off gut feels. So, you know, instinctively, like I shouldn't say yes to reducing my rates just to get a client. Like we all know that, right? But we all have done that. So for me, it's, I get kind of like, all I can say is like a deep kind of drop in my stomach or like a slimy kind of feeling when I go to do those things and my initial reaction is to like want to brace or push away mm. from the person be like, oh, I don't like, don't do that. Um, I drop eye contact too, I've noticed. Yeah. I start just looking at my notes like, oh. <laughs> yeah. So I think if you start getting those feelings, then you know that your boundaries or your values, because they are different and we can talk about them in another pod, that those kind of things, is something's telling you that something's not right. It could be them trying to force their power of dominance on you, which happens to a lot of us as business owners, right? Oh, come on, honey, you just need the, or you'll get visibility from this. Or can you just do this one thing? Hell no. Hell no. They're trying to use their power over us. And some people try and use their popularity as a bit of a weapon um, too. So I think if you get those weird feelings, you need to stop and pause. And it's totally okay to be like, thanks for that. I'll think about that later and get back to you at another time. Or that's a really great idea, but I'm not sure if I'm ready to kind of implement that right now. You can still get away with it and then go home or to a safe space and actually reflect and figure out what was happening. Were they inserting, like I said, popular power uh, power sort of over you or were you feeling that Mm. your power in an essence was being uh, removed? Totally. And that's only going to reflect positively on your professionalism. You don't need to make decisions in the moment to be professional. And that doesn't matter which side of the coin you're on, whether you're the client or the provider. So yeah, don't feel less professional because you didn't make a decision right then and there. Definitely. And so if you're, if you could give us some final practical tips, what would they be on how we can develop our lackability and power as a small business owner? For sure. I think we can kind of sum up some of the stuff we've been talking about today. So yeah, starting with what your purpose and your goals is, you do need to put pen to paper on this. Uh, go back and have a listen to our podcast if you need a bit more info on that one. Uh, practice developing your empathy. Really think about how you're going to be a leader and show up in this space as a small business owner. What connections do you want to develop? How are you going to practice empathy? What are your, if you're a service, you know, a consultant, what are your uh, conversations going to look like with your client? How does that actually go? Um, If you're selling a product, for example, how are you going to interact with customers? What's okay and not okay for you? Uh, That listening and learning from uh, the situation piece, so uh, focusing your energy on others being heard, practicing that active listening, you don't have to be a people pleaser though. That's not what we're talking about there. There very much is an unhealthy version of being likable and I think we've made that fairly clear now what that would look like. Uh, and then finally, yeah, creating those boundaries. So you need to actually write those down. Um, for a lot of people, that's actually going to be in your contract. So go back and have a look at your contracts. What do your contracts say that you're going to do and not do? And if it's not in there, then it needs to be and you need to actually spell that out for yourself. If it's not appropriate to be in your contract, it's totally okay to put that somewhere else. Uh, and have that with you when you go into your uh, client meetings or when you're dealing with customers, for example, if you're in a product-based area. It's often going to be, you'll see it in our FAQs online. 
I'm not a fan of the FAQs, but uh, that's all good. We'll talk about that another time. Uh, and uh, you'll see that there, what they do and don't do. So it might be something like, well, we don't do um, this type of returns, for example, and under the law, you know, we don't do these returns, et cetera, et cetera. That there is an example of a boundary for a product-based business. Um, or it might be, you know, we don't discount, we don't do these types of collabs. Actually writing down is going to make you feel a lot more confident when you need to talk about it. And then my top tips. Sweet. I love those. <laughs> well, Sorted. They're mostly yours as well. <laughs> Sorry. I'm like, they're mine. <laughs> Why? We collaborated. <laughs> I'm so powerful. <laughs> oh my God.